you have just entered the portal of discovery, complete with a British chick intro. Now, strap yourself in. We are in control of... We can adjust the treble. The bass. And add echo. Welcome to Speaking Out, America. We are in control. Well, I'm glad somebody's in control. <laughs> Doesn't seem like there's anybody in control, does there? There's a, I, I refer to it often because it's such a classic movie from 79, I think, Apocalypse Now, where uh, uh, Colonel Kurtz, it's a, towards the end when Colonel Kurtz, the bald guy, and Martin Sheen are having their uh, Hegelian dialect. Anyway, at one point, you know, they, the, the premise is that they send Martin Sheen's character in to kill this this Colonel Kurtz because he has kind of taken over the his army uh, battalion and turned them into real killers. And uh, the fact is that they're actually getting things done in Vietnam, but the brass down at Da Nang uh, don't want him to be too effective. And he's actually doing what people do when they go to war, which is killing people. Anyway, it's a great movie if you have not had a chance to see it. But there's a great line where Willard, who's Martin Sheen's character, says, uh, is asked by Martin, uh, by Brando, uh, are my methods unsound? That's what he asks him. Are my methods unsound and the long pause long dramatic pause and martin sheen's character willard looks up at him and he says i don't see any method and uh, that's sort of the theme of the show today because you know there if you look around at our leaders they don't really seem to have too much of a grasp on what they're doing or at least they don't understand the ramifications so you take for example ukraine now ukraine and russia have been in war for about a year, but it goes back to 2014 and even beyond. I mean, it's almost as if there's always been contention. And certainly if you go back to post-World War II and Stalin, the Ukrainians were basically starved to death by the then Russian regime. And, uh, you know, you don't get over that in a generation. You know, uh, if, if there was a war between Canada and, and the United States, you know, 60 years ago, and the Canadians had starved Americans, literally starved them to death, then you'd probably have some resentment. And I can certainly understand that the Russians don't like the uh, uh, Ukrainians, and the Ukrainians don't like the Russians. Uh, and so here we are, we're just funneling money over to uh, Ukraine and uh, weapons and bullets and everything that they're just throwing it at this war. And I, I talked about it yesterday. I said, you know, this is a proxy war. This is NATO taking on Russia, but they're using the Ukraine to do all the dirty work. And Zelensky doesn't mind because, you know, let's face it, it's a corrupt country. When you have billions of dollars flowing in, some of that money doesn't make it to where it's intended to go. You know that. I know that. That's what corruption is. People being bought off. And the fact of the matter is Zelensky could stop a lot of this if he would just negotiate and be willing to sit down with Putin, but he's already labeled Putin a crazy man. So they're the main characters, Zelensky, Biden, Putin. Do any of them seem like they know what they're doing? I mean, are these men, these supposedly wise statesmen, understand that women and children uh, have left Ukraine, they're trying to make ends meet, they're trying to survive in other countries, they were forced to leave their homes because of the decisions that are made by the people at the top, uh, or as Roger Waters calls them, 
the provocateur. So you can almost you can almost assess that there is no real leadership, just like there is no real method. The method is let's bomb the hell out of whatever we can get. They're never going to win. Russia's never going to back down. And we're not going to get regime regime change. And the only the only two alternatives is to continue the bloody battle or figure out a way to make peace so that the bloody battle will stop. Uh, and also remember that Africa, because of the global f- food supply chain, depends on the breadbasket of Ukraine to feed their hundreds of millions of people that live on the African continent. Those people get affected by the decisions made by those three men. So ineptitude would be a good word, I think. Ineptitude, blindness, blindness to causes. Anyway, so on that note, uh, there's a guy by the name of William Briggs, and he uh, did a, a seminar, or he did a, um, a speech at Hillsdale, and the title of it was called Why Science is Broken. And uh, here I want you to ask yourself, during the pandemic, particularly the COVID pandemic, didn't you wonder why every couple of weeks there was a different thing we had to worry about remember in the store they made sure everybody stayed six feet apart they had the little things on the floor where you were supposed to stand and how far you were especially at the checkout line remember all the plastic uh you know screens that went up and all the 7-elevens and circle k's all over the country so that you couldn't breathe on each other remember that all of that based on some scientific evidence that someone said would inhibit the flow of COVID. Well, none of that is, of course, able to be replicated in a lab, so it's bad science. The the same thing with you can't touch anything. Remember, you were supposed to not touch anything that anybody touched because they might pass COVID on to you. Then the mask, the mask mandates that were implemented, even though there was study after study, uh, and we'll get to that in, in more depth. That's a good example of bad science. So, As we have political leaders who have methods or no methods or unsound methods, there is also science. So we're going to listen to this Briggs guy, William Briggs, and he is a scientist and he gave a speech again. And Dr. Briggs is a former professor at Cornell Medical School. And he goes over a lot of things, but he has three particular things that I want to hopefully we can get to in this segment. And if not, we'll carry it over into the next one. But uh, you've heard the term "listen to the science." Let's let's explore that. This is what this is what William Doctor Briggs sort of calls out and and gives us a good example of the scientific community and in following the science and what that really means. Let's listen to a little bit of what Doctor Briggs has to say. So uh, it's impossible to look across the science that we're seeing out there and think that all of it, or even most of it, is any good or of any real use. There's a tremendous problem out there. And there's no symmetry here. Even if half of science is right and half of science is wrong, the half that's wrong takes much more energy and effort to to combat and battle, especially because science is now run by the bureaucracy, largely. I mean, they control the the mass amount of funds that goes on. And the people in charge are able to look at this sea of science, good and bad, and pick from it what they want. And they say, here we go, this is the result I want. This is now the science. And like Greg says, you ever know, they don't say this is science, they say the science. They say follow the science. 
That's why the, the, we need to lessen the, 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 the amount of uh, bad science that we have. So how do we do that? Well, other people have looked at this. In, in 1960, across the entire world, in all fields of science, there were published about a quarter million papers. That has now gone up to about eight million papers a year, and it's just skyrocketing. It's still shooting north. So uh, because of all the bad science we're seeing, because of this glut that we have, well, what's the problem? The problem is there's too much science. There's too much of it. There's too much money involved. There's too much prestige involved. There's too many people doing science. There's too many people doing poor science, calling it good. And the solution to this is easy. It's really simple. Stop doing so much science. But that's not going to happen. You're not going to see any politician come up there and say, you know what, all right, you know what, I'm for less funding for science education, so we're not going to have so much of that. I'm going to cut back on the budgets to the NSF and NIH. It's not going to happen. And so we have to live with this. We have to fix it some way or another. And he continues, Dr. Briggs, at his Hillsdale College speech, giving, giving examples of bad science. Can I indulge you with, uh, can you indulge me, but my absolute favorite example of this, it, this is... I, I tell this one all the time, but it's my favorite one. The Kennedy School, Harvard's Kennedy School, some researchers claimed X causes Y, that attending a 4th of July parade turns kids into Republicans. <laughs> parade attendance was never measured. Instead, they measured rainfall at the location of the residence of where the kids lived when they were children. If it rained, they said... No 4th of July parade could have possibly taken place, and so the kid didn't go to one, even if they were away at their grandmother's or something like this. And if it was sunny or it didn't rain, no precipitation could have been cloudy, they said a parade happened and the kid went there with no measurement. And they used causal language. They used ca This made all the papers, it was on all the news a couple years back. Experiencing 4th of July in childhood increases the likelihood that people identify with and vote for the Republican Party as adults. Well, I'm a meteorologist by training. It never rains in San Francisco in July. It should be a hotbed of Republicanism. Right? Harvard. Yeah, good point. That's Dr. Briggs, uh, Hillsdale College, talking about the fallibility of science. And in a second, we'll take a look at one more uh, case study and the whole argument about the, the efficacy of, of masks, remember, doing, during COVID. But it also serves as a very good example of science gone awry. And what he means by too much science is science is never cons uh, consistent. And science should never be about consensus. And the most important aspect of science is being able to replicate and be able to prove your hypotheses, the scientific method. And all of that was tossed out the window. All of it. We didn't consider it. The public didn't question the science. And Dr. Fauci telling us that he is science. And it turned out mostly that they were wrong. And that's my point, is that we put far too much trust in human beings who are all too capable of, of having built-in bias. And uh, we'll be back just a second more on this. Also, a little bit later on, we'll have Jim Harden, Reverend Harden, will be on to give us an update on the uh, pro-life wars. We'll continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Speaking Out, America.
Well, I guess the breaking news uh, of the hour is that Ron DeSantis officially declared his run for presidency, to no to anyone's surprise. And he did it through Elon Musk. Elon Musk, by the way, is has the highest approval rating of any American citizen right now. Did you Do you know that? Despite the fact that the uh, left is... Uh, the snowflakes are just so afraid of, of Twitter now because, my God, now the Republicans have a way of communicating their dastardly ideas. But, uh, no, Elon Musk, man, he, he did that interview, and he they, they always try to dog him. But he's such an honest guy, and he, he speaks from the hip, which, you know, in today's era, it doesn't seem like that's too common. People don't say what they really mean. Or the people that are not allowed to say what they really mean uh, because they'll be ostracized or canceled from society. What a what a terrible situation. Who ever thought, right? I mean, did you ever think that would happen in our country? I mean, we saw a little hint of it, you know. But now you can't even... I was just talking casually with my wife yesterday, and I said something about the fact that I thought it was rather interesting that Ron DeSantis was using Twitter, social media. It's kind of a... It's an innovative way and an approach that sort of bypasses the traditional media. And uh, she she found that objectionable, like I was parroting a Republican talking point. And I'm no, I'm just making a point that Elon Musk is the most popular American in in all the polls, a Harris poll just this week. So using his his vehicle to spread the word about what you want to do, it just to me it's a it's a uh, it's a it's a shift in the way that media is being used today as opposed to the way it was before. You would make an announcement, you know, the press would show up, it, all the three networks would would be there, maybe. And then you would do your Q&A with the press and make your announcement and off to the races. And then, of course, the next day it's in the headlines of all the major newspapers. That was the traditional media for generations. And then social media came into the picture and Twitter, because of the popularity, you know the rest, so... I, I think it's, I don't know, is it good? Is it bad? I, I'm not sure, but it is. So let's get back to this Dr. Briggs, a Cornell medical doctor, who spoke at Hillsdale recently about bad science and too much science. And what did he mean by that? Well, we, he sort of, at the beginning, uh, explained that there was this big experiment that involved 100 people that were given a question about immigration. Does immigration... Too much immigration affect positive or negative policy? And out of the 100 responses, 25% said it was positive, 25% said it was negative, 25% said there was no change, and I think with the exception of one who said, we don't know, everybody had an opinion. 100 scientists or researchers all came back with a completely different answer. And it just goes to show you how people are. They're very different in their perspective. And then he talks about how, how they use science, how they use statistics, and how they use uh, comparables. And, and they, they just bring everything out. And he says, it's not science, people. Half of what you're being told is not true. It's not verified by science. It might be associated with a possible connection, but it's never completely verified. And if it is, then... Yeah, of course you follow the science. There's certain things that you know. If you touch a hot stove, you're going to burn yourself. That's scientifically repeatable. You can replicate that in a laboratory quite easy. 
But uh, let him continue now. This is Briggs, and he's talking about now the masks mandates and how that is such a good example of bad science run amok. Take a listen. Number two, the second most popular way that things go bad uh, by not heeding philosophy. Why is not measured, but a proxy for why is, and everybody forgets the proxy. And sometimes neither X or Y is measured. I call it the double epidemiologist fallacy. The CDC is a big user of this fallacy, I'm afraid to say. That's how they talk themselves into mask mandates. In spite of a century's worth of studies, we have a century's worth of studies showing masks do not slow or stop the spread of respiratory viruses. Starting from after the Spanish uh, flu pandemic in 1917, two years later, they started doing these studies. We got studies all, all the way up through. We have studies in operating rooms where in a major hospital in Britain, people weren't wearing, the surgeons weren't wearing masks for like six weeks. No difference between infection rates and everything. On and on. And in March 2020, there was a major meta-analysis that came out. Coincidentally, the paper was in the works for some time before the COVID panic hit, uh, showing uh, it was flu, not COVID, because no one knew of COVID that time. Masks did nothing. Masks did nothing. But it was ignored. It was just ignored. So how did the CDC come to their belief that masks work? Well, they looked at cases. Up until 2020, cases meant people who were seriously ill and sought or needed treatment. And we, we differentiated them from infections, but that, that all changed in the panic. Anyway, they looked at cases in counties with and without mandates. Or rather, they looked at rates of change of case rates from county to county with and without mandates. And they said, look at this statistical model we have here. That proves that mandates are good, mask mandates are good doesn't work that way. Neither X nor Y has been measured. When nobody was measured wearing a mask or not, and nobody's infection was measured or not. But they did do one study like this. Maybe you've heard about it. It was in Denmark. They, early on in the panic, they did in Denmark, they handed out an N95 masks to thousands of people and trained them in their use. They got free masks and trained in the use. And, they, and they, another group went mask-free. Thousands of people. And, and they, at the end, they measured individuals. Did you get an infection? Did you get an infection? Did you get an infection? They measured this. That's the exact way to do the experiment. No difference in the groups. And that study was excoriated because it was not a pleasing result. And that's why half the country is still walking around wearing masks in the sun, because they've been told that that was the science. You might remember just a few weeks ago when Dr. Mark McCarry spoke before Congress the White House task force, and he gave testimony to the fact that the one thing that no scientist would ever admit, at least in the West, was natural immunity. We were flat out told that natural immunity did not apply, that it was too risky because COVID was too dangerous, even though every study that I ever saw, every statistic that I ever reported, which I had extensively on another podcast, and it never rose above 0.2%. The fatality rate, and that was people who got infected. Briggs in this uh, lecture also points to that fact. He says, you know, for some strange reason with COVID, we looked at cases, people who just tested positive, not even people who were sick. So we were running around scaring everybody with this, you know, this case count. Oh my God, it's out of control. There's 300,000 people walking around with COVID. No, that the first uh, the for mortality rate never exceeded 0.02% in any age group. And and mostly it was people over 65. So it was more like 0.03% or 0.05%. 0, 0. 
a one in thousand chance you might even get sick from COVID, much less die. But all of that was ignored. Every single bit of it was ignored. Why? Because of what Briggs said earlier. The whole system has been corrupted by money, profits, and pride. Because all of these doctors want to be the first to come to the table and say, hey, guess what? I got the answer. My tests show that there is a connection. I mean, bad science everywhere. Lesson learned? Let's hope so. Be back. Speaking out. Reverend James Harden joining us to talk about abortion in America. Stay tuned. This week is kind of going by fast, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. I don't know. What do you think? DeSantis? Trump, Scott, Elder, Haley, uh, Rams, Ramaswamy. Man, there's a lot of people jumping into the ring. Uh, I don't know. Who else? There's speculation that Hillary might be hinting that she might give it another go around. Or, of course, she's just hinting. She made some comment the other day about Biden maybe being too old and how Americans were right to be concerned about it. You know, no kidding. It's like watching Mr. Magoo president. Uh, or, a, or or Larry David with a stutter. Speaking of Larry David, there's a great segment in the... Remember the episode on the Seinfeld show where Kramer went to join a parade? It was an AIDS parade, an AIDS walk. Back in the uh, late 80s, mid 80s, uh, they were very common. And uh, I don't know if anybody even cares about this, but you know, the, the ribbon... Uh, campaign which has been used over and over and over with just different colored ribbons for different kinds of causes but I believe it has its roots in the song from Tony Orlando and Don which is tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree it was a big hit and it was a way of signifying your your contribution to a cause without actually ever doing anything I, I might add that's one of the reasons I don't like symbols like that. They, the, symbols to me is one person trying to get you to comply with their version of how they think about things. And I have a different perspective on AIDS. And, you know, the reason partly that it, it did what it did was because of promiscuity. The fact is that young gay guys were out there on the streets and they were doing what they're doing. And I know this because I know I knew so many of them. I, I spent... 10, 15 years in Santa Barbara, which was the epicenter of LGBTQ, that and San Francisco. But it just filtered its way down from Castro down to Santa Barbara, and then L.A. became the hub. It is a powerful lobby. The LGBTQ lobby in California, where it's headquartered in San Francisco, is an extremely well-funded, powerful lobby. And if you can't tell by now, well, this might convince you. So there's a big controversy now brewing over the LA Dodgers. What happened? Let me pull up the article. But basically the Dodgers were told that they wanted to have a, a LGBTQ community night at Dodger Stadium. Okay, no, no problem there. But then it went a step further and the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence which is connected to the satanic church said that they felt that they were not 
being included in the celebration. Uh, and they wanted to be able to perform on the field uh, on that day, which is, I think, June 16th. So the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence made a stink about it. They said, you know, we're being excluded from LGBTQ Pride Night, and that's not fair. Well, the Dodgers thought they were going to have a Bud Light moment, so they backed off of the whole thing. But they got such enormous pressure from the LGBTQ lobby that they reversed their stand completely. And now they're offending Catholics and Christians and just normal folk who don't want all that politics on the field. And this is what they do. This is, if you remember the, the football players, they were making them wear pink socks for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Then they had to, it's like every month they have a different patch that they have to wear to show their allegiance. Uh, in soccer, there are countries that their players aren't showing up because they don't want to wear the LGBTQ f f uh, pride flag or the, the ribbon. But, you know, let's take a step back and remember, this is, just didn't start yesterday. This, this started a long time ago. Take a listen. Okay, you're checked in. Yeah, thank you. Here's your AIDS ribbon. Uh, no, thanks. You don't want to wear an AIDS ribbon? Uh, no, no. But you have to wear an AIDS ribbon. I have to? Yes. <laughs> yeah, see, that's why I don't want to. But everyone wears the ribbon. You must wear the ribbon. What you are? You're a ribbon bully. Hey, hey, you come back here. Come back here and put this on. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how it is now. So here's the letter that the Dodgers uh, issued just today. After much thoughtful feedback, from our diverse communities, honest conversations within the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, and generous discussions with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, the Los Angeles Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, members of the LGBTQ plus community, and their friends and family. We've asked the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to take their place on the field at our 10th annual LGBTQ plus Pride Night, on June 16th, we are pleased to share that they have agreed to receive the gratitude of our collective communities for the life-saving work that they have done tirelessly for decades. Life-saving work. Hmm. In the weeks ahead, we will continue to work with our LGBTQ plus partners to better educate ourselves, find ways to strengthen the ties that bind, and use our platform to support all of our fans who make up the diversity of the Dodgers family, I think I'm going to puke. I mean, come on. Talk about placating. Uh, you know who likes to go to baseball games in Los Angeles? Mexicans. They love the Dodgers. The Latin uh, American Latino community love the Dodgers. And you know what? They're Catholic. And you know what else? They're not going to go for this. I can almost guarantee you they might have a nice big celebration on June 16th. But I would not be surprised, depending on how big this news, how, how many tickets they don't sell. And they're having a good year. They're having a really good year. I wouldn't go. I don't, I don't agree with this. If I go to a ball game, I don't want to have LGBTQ pride. I, I, won't, I wouldn't go on that day. But I might think twice about going on any day just to show them that that is not something that I approve of a satanic group, sisters of perpetual indulgence. Okay. So you think about that for a minute. Why are they doing this? Because they're being extorted because the powerful lobby that is the
the LGBTQ community that's all about inclusiveness and diversity, but that's not what they want. They want complicity. They want you to comply. They want you to wear that ribbon. You got to wear the ribbon. It's not enough that you're letting us have a night. You've got to prove to the world that you are supportive. So now they're getting into groupthink. And it's it's embarrassing. Uh, and I hope that they suffer greatly. Because until these corporations learn that they're really on the wrong side of this issue, they're going to continue to suffer uh, because the people have spoken. They don't want our children being inculcated with this new ideology. They're tired of having to acquiesce to the demands of what is really turning out to be a bully group, uh, an extortionist campaign, not unlike the uh, Rainbow Push Coalition that we saw with Jesse Jackson. And Al Sharpton is right there. Uh, man, they all learned, you know, if you just extort people or organizations with the threat that the powerful LGBTQ community is going to tear you down, you'll, you'll get people to do whatever you want. And the sad part of it is they get funded to the teeth. I'll find out uh, in a future uh, episode how much the LGBTQ, I think at last check, it's like a $200 million a year uh, endowment that they get. It's unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable that you have a lobby group that is so powerful based on sexual preference and nothing else. Sexual preference. It'd be like if you had people who just loved to eat hot dogs all the time and they started going out and clamoring and demanding that hot dogs be sold at every store and that there should be ketchup and that there should be mustard everywhere. It should be available and it should be cheap. And by God, people should be able to have a hot dog whenever they want. That's the equivalence because it's a preference. If it, it's not a lifestyle and you're born that way, then what do you have pride in? You didn't do anything. You were born that way. This is some of the argument that, that uh, Dennis Prager was saying yesterday. You know? So I, I just, again, I'm, I grew up watching the Dodgers, Vince Scully. I have fond memories of going to the game with my father as a young boy right there at Elysian Field, the Chavez Ravine and the Union 76 ball. I used to have one of those balls on our car, our family car. You know, those things they put on the antenna? Those were really cool. That was cool. Wearing that, that was something that symbolized my dedication, my willing dedication to my favorite sports team. I get, guarantee you now the, the ball has replaced by a pride ball. I, I can almost imagine a sea of cars parked at Chavez Ravine in the parking lot at Elysian Park with nothing but rainbow balls on everybody's antenna or antennae. Uh, that's what I'm thinking is happening. So again, you know, we talk about these issues because they do eventually have an impact on you, where you're living. You can't avoid it. You're going to go into a Target store pretty soon and you're going to see a whole display dedicated to pride. All of these rainbow-colored artifacts, everything from sex toys to children's clothing to transgender children's clothing. It's all going to be there and there's nothing you can do about it. If you hold any particular beliefs about this particular uh, situation and the way that they're basically uh, inculcating and brainwashing young people into acceptance of this lifestyle as being perfectly normal, but it's not perfectly normal because why are they pushing so hard? That's the question. Now, listen, we, we wrestle with this every opportunity we, we get, and we hope that we come to some sort of sense 
the adults will stand up in the room and say, enough is enough. Be right back. Hey, where's your ribbon? Oh, I don't wear them. You don't wear the ribbon? Aren't you against AIDS? Yeah, I'm against AIDS. I mean, I'm walking. I just don't wear the ribbon. Who do you think you are? Put the ribbon on. Hey, Cedric, Bob, this guy won't wear a ribbon. Are you going to wear the ribbon? No. Oh, but I'm wearing the ribbon, so why aren't you going to wear the ribbon? This is America. I don't have to wear anything. 